Welcome everyone to the Take Control of Your Health podcast. This is Dr. Mercola bringing you the latest cutting edge interviews to help you achieve optimal health. You can receive more information by subscribing to my free daily newsletter at Mercola.com. Because you won't find us on Google or Facebook, we respect your privacy and will continue to fight the Silicon Valley censorship. Thank you so much for listening. So let's get started with this week's latest program to help you and your family take control of your health. Welcome everyone. This is Dr. Mercola helping you take control of your health in these extraordinary times. Uh, and we have a special guest to help you navigate these times. And that is our repeat guest, Dr. Robert Rowan, who is a prominent uh, ozone physician who is, as I understand it, has been one of the, the, is the practicing ozone therapy longer than any other physician in North America. So he's especially um, uh, adept at discussing this and topic for today in light of the epidemic. And I that we're experiencing. I want to preface this before we begin that we are recording this on March 23rd. This is a rapidly evolving scenario, so likely statistics are going to change uh, before this video is aired. So please take that into consideration when we're discussing it. But many of the principles will be dialoguing about are pretty much evergreen and they're going to be useful not only for this epidemic and past epidemics but future epidemics and many people may recall that i previously interviewed dr rowan uh for his participation in the ebola epidemic where he actually took his, his staff and equipment over to africa and i forget which country it was and successfully treated a number of individuals over there so welcome and thank you for joining us today well thank you for having me joe so, yeah, so maybe uh, you can briefly summarize your clinical experience with ozone uh, and uh, what you did in Africa and the results of that, and then we can go into the details on how that's uh, appropriate to information and a resource to have for this epidemic and the COVID-19. I've been doing ozone since 1986, and it's... Ozone has basically changed my um, my practice. We have um, we've treated probably tens of thousands of people, and we treat them for a wide variety of conditions. And ozone seems to work across the board for most things, not for everything, but for most things. Um, I decided to go to Africa in 2014 because knowing what I knew about the Ebola virus itself, I thought that ozone would be an ideal therapy. And because of the similarity, a particular similarity of the Ebola viral coat to coronavirus, I also believe it will be an effective treatment for coronavirus. So I recruited Howard Robbins to come with me. Howard Robbins does a rather inexpensive, uh, quite safe form of ozone called DIV, direct intravenous gas. The only downside to it is it can irritate veins. And yes, it can irritate, but if you're careful and you're not doing it too much, I haven't seen much of an issue and we use lower concentrations so that we don't see any issues at all. 
and it can cause a temporary cough or chest tightness, which goes away in about five or 10 minutes. But other than that, uh, I believe it's virtually 100% safe or very close to it. And it's really inexpensive. It's, that's why we chose to use it. It's, it the, the cost, the throwaway cost is only a 27 gauge butterfly and that costs less than a dollar. Mm -hmm. You can reuse the syringe because the syringe doesn't get contaminated. And once you buy an ozone generator uh, and compressed oxygen, it's gotta be medical grade oxygen, you're on a roll. Now, my wife and I anticipated this, so we got a lot of butterfly needles in stock, lots of oxygen, so that we would be prepared for a pandemic. I've been expecting something like this for a long time, and I've spoken about it. So this is really cheap. There are other ozone methods, and amongst ozone practitioners, there are other favored methods. Well, my favored method is hyperbaric ozone, where we take ozone into a glass bottle, now, uh, excuse me, we put blood into a glass bottle, 200 cc's, then we pump the ozone in under pressure into that bottle, mix it up, and then that drives the blood back into the patient. And that's- well, what, type of, what, type of, what type of pressures are you looking at? We're looking at two ATA, that's okay. uh, two atmospheres. Sure. Yeah, I, I, usually, I actually have a hyperbaric chamber myself, but which we'll discuss, and use liquid oxygen to go to 2.5 ATA. Well, this is only a bottle that. Yeah, I know. I get that. Yeah, I get okay. that. Yeah. So you're, um, you're exposing the blood to it. And how does it, the putting the ozone under pressure, that type of pressure, result in more effectiveness for the therapy? But it's actually a lot more complex because you have to, it's very, well, I guess you do that with, if you're not doing DIV, you have to extract the blood anyway. So this is just a, another process that you're implementing. So, well, one of the disadvantages of anything other than DIV is there's a lot of medical waste. Mm -hmm. And in the case of Ebola and coronavirus, you're dealing with contaminated materials. Mm -hmm. And that is a significant issue, contaminated materials. Um, so the DIV method, as far as I'm concerned, would be preferred for this. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, but um, you can't do hyperbaric ozone with DIV. You have to put it in a container. Hyperbaric ozone has to be done in a bottle. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. DIV has certain advantages, which we're going to get into. But I do hyperbaric ozone. I do high dose hyperbaric ozone. We call it 10 pass in this country. It's based on the work of Johann Lahadny, an Austrian mm -hmm. physician. And we get unbelievable results with Lyme disease. I think I get as good results with Lyme disease as anybody in the country gets with anything that they do, simply because we're giving rather large amounts of ozone. And our patients get better very, very quickly. And I use the hyperbaric method for this. Mm -hmm. Howard uses a lot of his DIV, Howard Robbins. Mm -hmm. um, so ozone, we'll get to the DIV method in a moment, but let's talk about what ozone does, what mm -hmm. we know it does. Billy Obachi, who passed away last fall and was one of my mentors, I met him in Israel uh, maybe 15 years ago. He got interested in ozone saying, you know, I heard all these wonderful things about ozone therapy, and it was hard to believe that a single therapy could work for so many different diseases that are totally disconnected. And he says, I just couldn't believe it, so I had to study it to find out why. And he came up with some really wonderful uh, discoveries. 
Well, the most important thing in all healing, bar none, is oxygen. Mm -hmm. Oxygen is life. You don't have oxygen, you die. And we see that with coronavirus when the lungs fill up with oxygen, uh, people oh, die. Yeah. Excuse me, when the lungs fill up air. with fluid, fluid, they don't get uh, air and they die. Mm -hmm. Ozone increases 2, 3 DGP in red blood cells. That causes more oxygen to be released by hemoglobin. Ozone improves red blood cell flexibility. So a red cell with, say, this diameter has to go through a smaller opening and with more flexibility, it can squeeze through the capillary, which is actually a smaller diameter. Red cells have to do that to get through the capillaries. Ozone increases what's called the arterial venous oxygen difference. So if here is the arterial oxygen and here is the venous difference, then what's in between is what your body is consuming. And ozone increases that, so you get a higher uh, amount of oxygen that's actually being consumed by the body, which can only be done in the mitochondria, meaning more ATP. ATP is what the body makes for energy, and we have to have that. So oxygen com combustion makes ATP. He also found that ozone increases the levels of key antioxidant enzymes, like glutathione peroxidase, catalase, superoxide dismutase. He also found that ozone modulates the immune system, increasing certain cytokines, that reduce inflammation and decreasing certain cytokines that increase inflammation. This work was verified and corroborated by Sylvia Menendez's group in Cuba. They showed that ozone reduces um, TNF, uh, alpha. tumor necrosis factor alpha. Yeah. When animals were preconditioned, in other words, if you gave them an ozone treatment before a toxic insult that would kill them, it greatly reduced the lethality of the insult, whether it was chemical or a stress or infection. So Menendez added to what Bachi did. So ozone has all of these effects and more. It increases nitric oxide production in the circulation, which improves circulation. In any event, all of these factors, all of these biochemical effects of ozone go into its effectiveness. Additionally, both groups found that ozone creates molecules called ozonides. Ozonides are reactive oxygen species or lipid oxidation products that are created on contact. When ozone contacts components in your blood, ozone reacts with them instantly. Ozone doesn't last more than microseconds in your mm -hmm. blood, if that. And then all these molecules are made called ozonides, and then the ozonides move through the body, and they are the chemical messengers getting the body to do all these other effects. The ozonides are in their own right reactive oxygen species, and they are electron-seeking. And while they are not as lethal to microorganisms as ozone is, and that's one of the other mechanisms of ozone. Ozone kills microorganisms virtually instantly. 
viruses and bacteria. We'll get to viruses in a moment. Well, the, let, me just stop, let me just stop there because it does present somewhat of a dilemma in comprehending this uh, with respect to its mechanism of action because uh, I guess, well, I guess if you're supplying a continuous, providing a continuous supply of ozone, it's not as much an issue because it dissipates so rapidly. So if it dissipates within milliseconds or microseconds, you know, it's not going to be able to effectively annihilate a significant number of the viral, viral pathogens unless it's, you have a prolonged exposure, right? Yes. So, and, and that prolonged exposure is provided by the continuous administration, either through DIV or through administration of the blood, the ozonated blood. Well, realize that only a portion of your blood is getting ozonated. Right. Very small portion. Very small portion. So it depends how you give it. If you give it DIV, for example, 20 cc's intravenously here, only the blood that's circulating through your vein at that moment is going to get ozonated. Mm -hmm. But remember, it's creating a whole host of downstream metabolites called ozonides, and they're reactive. Not as reactive as ozone, but they're still reactive, and they're going to do their thing. Do they so do their thing by directly killing the viral pathogen, or they do it by upregulating the immune system to help your body defeat it? I think both. they can do. I think they can do both. This is just my own hunch. Definitely, they're working on the immune system. They're the molecules that the immune system is working to communicate with itself. Um, the lipid oxidation products—they're messenger molecules. Mm -hmm. However, if you look at the reaction um, graphics showing what molecules are created, you see peroxides created, mm -hmm. aldehydes created. All of these are oxidants in their own right. Yeah. Peroxides in particular. And peroxides are electron seeking. So while not as lethal to microorganisms as ozone is, I mean, ozone will, will destroy an organism virtually on contact these are going to require a longer time and you're not going to see an instant destruct. But if you increase these molecules and they're circulating in the bloodstream over a long period of time, I think they will have an action, especially on particularly vulnerable organisms, which would include Ebola and also coronavirus because of particular structures on their viral coat. So the, the ozonites have a longer half-life. Much, what, much what, longer. They'll last days. Wow, that's a long time. Okay. I mean, because most biological... I, it, it, the way you're describing it, it sounds like a free radical or a biological signaling molecule, which, you know, they can be. Not all free radicals are bad. That's a serious confusion in the lay public. Some of them are very beneficial. It sounds like the ozonates would classify in that... In that uh, that's a, you, you raised a really good point. Ozone is not a free radical. Not no, all the ozonites radicals might are be. bad. But the ozonides might be. The ozonides are not free radicals. Okay. Because if they were, they would be quenched immediately. But let's look at what the body does when it's fighting an infection. It does create free radicals. Mm -hmm. It creates nitric oxide, which is a radical. It has an unpaired electron. Yeah, it has uh, NADPH oxidase within the lysosome is activated to produce these powerful oxidizing molecules. To, to destroy the viral pathogen. Ozone, excuse me, the body, when it's fighting an infection, also creates singlet oxygen. Yeah. 
that is basically a free radical. The, the that's, body that, that's creates, in the lysosome with, with NOx, NADPH oxidase. That's how it does it. Yes. So the body creates lots of free radicals to hurl at the microorganisms. The problem comes when the body loses control and these free radicals might overwhelm the system itself or incite a, what's called a cytokine storm, which we've got to get into. Ozone is not a free radical. In fact, it may quench free radicals. But the body, I, I don't know if you know this, Joe. You, I'm sure, actually, you probably do. Oh, the body makes ozone. I didn't know that. Did not know didn't that. know that. No, I'm not surprised, but I did not know that. It did. It does. Scripps Institute in 2003 published a report that, in conjunction with antibodies, when the body makes superoxide in a defense response, superoxide paired with certain antibodies actually creates O3. And they couldn't measure the O3 because O3 is so reactive, it's gone instantly. But the downstream metabolites that they found, they said it could only be of a, have been accomplished by ozone. Hmm. So ozone is actually made in the body as part of this balance of pro-oxidants, highly reactive oxidants, that are made when your body is fighting an infection. Yeah, yeah. So the the superoxide gets converted to hydrogen peroxide by superoxide dismutase, which then can either fight the pathogen or can itself be neutralized by uh, catalase. Yes. Yeah. And your body, most people don't realize this either, but I believe five percent of the oxygen consumed by your body gets converted to peroxide. Yeah, that's surprising. Pro probably in the mitochondria, I would think. In the mitochondria. Yeah. And that's why you need to have a lot of uh, superoxide dismutase. We're mm. making a lot of superoxide in our body, free radical, and it's being made all the time. And I don't believe God made mistakes. This no, no. This for a reason. But you, you can take it exogenously, like you can take superoxide dismutase supplements, which I think is a massive mistake. And it's, you know, we'll discuss this in a little bit, but I think it's far better to have your body make it when it needs it. So yeah. you make the right amount and don't uh, inappropriately suppress useful signaling molecules. I'm in agreement with you. Yeah. And if the body didn't want these free radicals, it wouldn't make so much superoxide, uh, excuse me, it wouldn't make this so much superoxide. 5% of the oxygen you consume goes into the manufacture of superoxide in your mitochondria. Yeah. Of course, our bodies are made for this, so we have that enzyme. But you know, you know it, that, that percentage could be increased. And I'll tell you, it could be increased if people are eating the wrong food. If they have, if they have too many carbohydrates and they're using that as their primary fuel as opposed to fat, that can be probably... It, it might not be 5%. I think ideally it's probably closer to 3 It might go to 10% if they're having the wrong fuel and they're not using fat as their, their primary fuel source. And that, and that, and that excessive superoxide and, and hydrogen peroxide can cause oxidative damage, which contributes to a lot of the degenerative disease. I agree with you totally on yeah. this. Um, your diet has everything to do with how yeah. your body is operating and the balance, uh, the, what's called homeostasis it makes. Mm -hmm. So good. So, uh, you know, let's get out of the weeds and go into some of the practical components. I think it's important to understand the mechanism of action and, you know, from a bio biochemical perspective. But I think from this discussion, we'd really like to focus on what people can do. Uh, so, um, 
you know, let's discuss some of the different therapies because there's two ways that you can receive ozone. One is that you can see a clinician like yourself, which is the ideal. Uh, many people, perhaps most, are, are not going to avail to themselves that resource. One, because they might be in lockdown. Two, because they might not be able to afford. Three, because there might be a not be a local physician that's convenient to them. So why don't we discuss how one could find a, 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 an a oxidative medicine ozone therapist if they want to pursue that, or how they can avail themselves of this resource and use it themselves. Because I think that many people can, if, now I'm a physician and I use ozone myself personally, but even if I wasn't a physician, I think it's simple enough and safe enough that you can do it pretty easily. My wife and I spent hours uh, creating a video, uh, which is available on home ozone use. And it is available for a small donation to Ozone Without Borders, ozonewithoutborders.ngo, a nonprofit organization. We donated the video to them. So anybody interested in home ozone techniques, uh, let me explain the home ozone techniques. There's rectal insufflation, ear insufflation, taking ozone water, which is in this cup right now, there's ozone sauna. Women can do vaginal insufflation as well. Um, so we've made a video of all of these techniques, easy to do, ozonewithoutborders.ngo. Anybody can do this, and it is extraordinarily safe. At my own website, which is drrowandrsu.com, uh, we have news and articles uh, tab, and anybody can go to that and see the writings that I've done on home ozone, how to get machines, um, certain machines, and also nebulized hydrogen peroxide. I do nebulized hydrogen peroxide, and during this epidemic, I'm doing it just about every day. Interesting. Do you like that better than colloidal silver? I like both. You can do them both at the same time? Yes. And the, the silver doesn't, I mean, the peroxide doesn't oxidize the silver? Yes, it can. I would, not, I would prefer that you, there are, it, it depends what kind of silver you use. Mm -hmm. If you're using ionic silver, AG+, mm -hmm. it's already oxidized. Okay. So there you could go. mix that with the peroxide. There is a form of silver that I really like called mesosilver, which is really metallic silver. And if you put the ozone in with, if you, excuse me, if you put the peroxide in with that, then the silver color of that product will turn clear as the peroxide oxidizes it. For that product, I would do the silver separately mm -hmm. and then follow it with peroxide or do, do one or the other first. Mm -hmm. But if you're using a clear silver product, you can mix them. Okay. That's good to know. So I'm and I know one of your favorites because you do ozone pretty much every day and I uh, believe you do the rectal. I mean, you certainly do intravenous because you have easy access to it, but uh, the daily ones would be rectal, ear, and drinking the water. And I think you drink the water the most. So I'm particularly intrigued with that. I actually am challenged with some periodontal issues. So 
the dentist had rec strongly recommended ozonated water. So I would like to discuss that because I think it's such a useful strategy for periodontal issues, but also for health. Uh, and we, so I'd like to go a little bit deep on that, especially uh, the, the specifics as to how long it lasts, because it doesn't seem to last very long and the details on how to create it. Because, you know, so if we can go, if you can start there and I'll just ask us some questions on it. I went to the Republic of Guinea a year ago at my own expense. Uh, I brought ozone there. Uh, I, their ozone was already there. I brought adva some advanced techniques for them. And I met with the wife of one of my patients, and I want to give her credit for this. Her name is Wisławia Moriba. She's a Polish nurse. Now, their nurses are much different than our nurses. She's really way advanced. Um, and she was doing things that only an advanced medical doctor might do. But she was treating, uh, this is a poor country, a very poor country. And she was treating people with ozone water, mm -hmm. ear ozone, and in many cases, rectal ozone. And it was almost shocking to find out that she was getting really, really good results with this. And it wasn't even involving blood therapy. Mm -hmm. And she had all kinds of people coming in. I, I saw all kinds of stuff coming into her place. And uh, again, very poor country and people lined up to get treatments. She bubbled oz uh, ozone through water at a very cold temperature. Yeah, do you, would it be useful to put ice cubes in the water to make it uh, close to freezing? You want it as close to freezing as possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she, she had water at about zero degrees Celsius, 32 degrees. Okay. And then after she did that, uh, by the way, this water at zero to two degrees Celsius will, will carry maybe three times the amount of ozone in the water dissolved as this cup right here at room temperature. It's a huge difference, huge difference. And if you drink as, as the temperature increases, as you take it up to room temperature, does the ozone just diffuse out or dissociate? Yes, the ozone just diffuses out. We know, for example, Joe, you know that in Alaska, where you have really cold seawater temperature, oxygen is higher concentration. Mm -hmm. Colder water is denser, it can hold more oxygen. And when you boil it, when you bring water up to higher temperature, all the gases come out. That's what you're dealing with here. So if you have water close to the freezing point, it's going to hold dramatically more ozone. Okay. Now, and the nice how, thing... Oh, go ahead, continue and I'll ask. The nice thing in Guinea <clears throat> was that it's such a warm climate that it was very refreshing to drink water at zero degrees Celsius. Mm -hmm. Sure. Here, you might not be able to tolerate drinking a liter at once of zero degrees Celsius. Is that how much you need, a liter? She, was, she would give people a liter, and then they would drink it over the course of the day, keeping it cold and capped. Okay. My wife and I are making ozone water every day following this. We make a liter of water, and we are doing it at room temperature because neither of us could tolerate drinking that much ice cream. <laughs> so, so we are doing it at room so temperature. So when you're making it, how, what, what, I mean, this, the procedure is pretty simple. It can't be any old bottle. Typically, it's a flask with a special uh, a cap and adapter and attachments to the ozone concentrator or degenerator. 
how much gamma ozone do you put from the generator and how long do you diffuse it for? We use maximum concentration coming from the generator. And we will bubble it typically, say, at 1 16th to conserve oxygen. The generator is turned up as high as possible. And in the case of our, the generator we use for this purpose. Um, 70, 80 gamma? Even more. If we okay. can get 90 to 100, we do that. Okay. And we'll bubble it for 10, maybe 15 minutes. Okay. That's what I was thinking. All right. And we do that every morning. As soon as we get up, one of us will bubble the ozone, and then she and I will split the leaders. And then I'm also, because of this epidemic, um, I get, have a stethoscope that I can attach a syringe to, and I put it in my ears just to give me a little bit extra. And as you said, also, since I'm a physician, I have the added advantage that I can do IV ozone, which I do. I do IV ozone every one to two weeks just to keep on ahead of things. Um, I, I also have an ozone sauna. People can get ozone saunas. There are some really expensive ones. The one that I like the best is very expensive. It's called mm -hmm. Hockett, H-O-C-A-T-T. -T. Those are over 100,000, aren't they? No, you can no? get the least expensive is probably gonna be around 30. If you add okay. PEMF, it's gonna be 50,000 plus. Okay. Um, but I would say you should be able to get one from 30 to 35,000. And if somebody wants to get this, I can put them in touch with the woman who sells it and okay. probably help them out price-wise as well. Yeah, that's a little bit pricey, but for most, you know, the average person, an ozone setup like you're describing and with all the equipment and peripherals is going to be under a thousand dollars. And uh, now there, I think we should just take a, a brief tangent on, the oxygen supply for the generator because you can't you can technically generate ozone from room air but that would be very unwise because room air is nearly 80% nitrogen and you're going to create reactive nitrogen species with not reactive oxygen species so that would be a bad idea so you need a form of pure oxygen the least the most convenient is an oxygen concentrator uh, run at a very low flow rate so you can get a high percentage uh, better and ideal would be medical grade oxygen, but normally in many states you've got to be a physician to get the licensed O2 and prescription for, or get, at least get a prescription for it, and that can be more of a challenge. So why don't you give your perspective on that? I give medical grade oxygen to any of my patients on request if mm -hmm. they have an ozone machine. Yeah, but most of the people watching this don't have access to you. That's correct. Yeah. Now, I can't endorse this. I'm just going to say from experience, a lot of people I know go out and get industrial oxygen. Sure, sure. What are the, and I can't professionally, nor can you endorse that. Right. But I haven't heard any problems with this. Needs a different now, what, regulator though, right? No. Uh, you, well, yes, industrial oxygen will have a different regulator, but most of the tanks in my office are industrial anyway. Okay. I mean, I'm talking the valve, the valve. Right, right. We only use medical grade oxygen. Mm -hmm. But uh, you can't get a medical tank, which is a, called a pin index adapter, filled with industrial oxygen. It has to be a screw-on uh, valve. And they will not fill a green tank, which is a medical tank, with industrial oxygen. Industrial oxygen is handled differently. They don't wash out the tank with oxygen. In other words, if the tank goes empty, they just fill it. So any mm -hmm. nitrogen that was in there stays. With medical, they wash it out. It does come from the same source. 
So the source is the same. The equipment is handled better and it's washed out. So it's it, all I can say, again, not recommending it, but I know a lot of people who do this and they're happy with it. Please do not use an oxygen concentrator for this. Now, hmm, okay, oxygen, concent oxygen concentrator is fine, in my opinion, for making ozone that you're going to bubble through water. Yeah. Or, okay. Makes sense. Just through water. I would not use an oxygen concentrator for any other form of ozone delivery. Uh, maybe ears, maybe. But the problem is, I don't want oxides of nitrogen in my body. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. I'm not so concerned if you drink a little bit of nitrogen oxides. I, I don't think that's a major concern. But I don't want nitrogen oxide in my body any other way. So I don't recommend an oxygen concentrator other than for water. Okay. Fair caution. Uh, so and anyway, the uh, specific details are in the video you mentioned earlier, and that would be because uh, you just then you just have to connect yourself with the uh, the oxygen uh, or the ozone generator, and of course the uh, regulators and the tubing to connect everything up. So it's we a pretty simple that, process, actually. Yeah, we show that in the video that's posted at Ozone Without Borders. Yeah, and um, I guess we haven't discussed it, but it needs to be emphasized is that ozone is only toxic to one tissue in your body, and that's the respiratory lung epithelium. So you can't breathe this stuff. Please, <laughs> why, why don't you talk about it? All right. You got to be careful when you make ozone water in your flask, because when you open up the flask, if, if it's close to your nose, you're going to get a whiff of powerful ozone. And that's irritating to the lungs. No doubt. I mean, if you go online and even at the FDA, they're going to say ozone is a toxic gas. And they also say with no known medical indications. It's partly true. The FDA is 100 years behind the times in terms of no known medical indications. Ozone has been in continuous use in this country since 1888 or 1885, when it was, a book was published on the use of ozone in medicine. And it is published that ozone has a wide scope of medical benefits. Is it toxic? If you breathe ozone into your lungs, yes. You don't want to do that. The lungs don't have that much protection against ozone. And you'll cough and gag. And if, you, if you're breathing ozone for a long period of time, it, it, it can possibly damage your lung. But it's not damaging to any other tissue if you do it right, women can take it vaginally. That's a sensitive tissue. No issues if you do it right. Rectally, I know people who do rectal ozone five, six times a week. I do ozone by a blood treatment, and I do it regularly, often, no issues. Ozone gas, DIV ozone, if you give it to the vein, the gas, it can be irritating to the vein. No doubt about it. Why? Vein endothelium, the inner lining of the vein, on the inside of the uh, vein, they lack catalase, an enzyme. And lacking that catalase, they don't have protection from the ozone. So if you repeatedly do this, or if you give ozone in very high concentration into the vein, you can irritate the vein, cause a phlebitis, and you won't be happy. So we have to be careful when we do this. I will give you an example of this. 
in my early days of exploring with this, when AIDS first came out, I was looking for a way to do this by DIV method, and I, I knew more was better, but I didn't know how much more could potentially damage me. I've got nice veins on the back of my hand. You might be able to see it. And this is, yes, the, hand, good. This is the hand that I did it to. I stuck a 27-gauge butterfly in this vein, and I gave myself ozone at 70 gamma, and it hurt, and I was foolish. And I continued the infusion because I got to do something on myself before I do it on a patient. Mm -hmm. And I was doing this on myself as a trial. Two veins in my hand clotted off, and I said, oh, my God, I might have lost my veins in my hand. And I was really worried about it, but immediately I started taking proteolytic enzymes. In that case, I took Wobenzyme, and I put castor oil packs on my hand. And you can find good information on castor oil packs, which is good for putting anywhere on your body where there's inflammation. And in three days, I, the blood was flowing again in my vein. And within five days, all was fixed, and my veins are every bit as good yeah. as anybody else's right now. Yeah, hyperbaric would help too. Yes. Yeah, so that's good. So, well, the average person's not going to be doing DIV, so. No. <laughs> but it's good to know. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's an advanced technique for medical professionals. So, um, now, so Jay I, I think another important topic that anyone self-administering ozone therapy, as per your recommendations, uh, would benefit from is the adjunctive use of um, endogenous antioxidant upregulation. And that would be my favorite antioxidant, which is molecular hydrogen. Uh, as a yeah. tablet, which when dissolved in water generates molecular hydrogen gas, which needs to be consumed in about 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 90 seconds after you put the tablets in the water. And done about 30 minutes before you do the oxidative therapy. And this is something I do routinely before I go into my chamber. And I would recommend for anyone considering ozone therapy because it, it, it causes your body to have this these protective mechanisms ripped, ready to go, that when you give this stress, it can help protect your body. And it only gets activated if you need it. So I'm wondering if you integrate that into your uh, protocols. We're using a lot of molecular hydrogen, yes. And I like your product. I want your viewers to know. Yeah, yeah. It's, and, it's uh, good I, stuff. I wanna, it is my uh, favorite supplement. I, I want to thank you for getting it out there. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, I'm grateful to Tyler LeBaron who helped us put it together and you know, basically develop the knowledge to understand it. Such a powerful tool, and it's gra greatly underappreciated in the medical world. Uh, but it's, it's uh, great for oxidative stress, both therapeutic, like ozone, hyperbaric oxygen, but also for ionizing radiation exposures, like if you're going to get a CT scan or if you're flying at 35,000 feet, which many people aren't doing nowadays, but if you were, you're going to get ionizing radiation up there. So this is a very useful strategy, and I use it every time I fly. I like it. Again, I thank you for getting that information out there. I've been studying uh, molecular hydrogen for some years. It's published in medical gas research. Mm -hmm. And uh, I like what you've done with your product. Well, thank you. Joe, I wanted to also expand on, uh, we, we touched on this earlier. 
why ozone for coronavirus? And yes, uh, let's get into the details now. I mean, that's what, why we're doing this. Yeah, <laughs> because this is another tool. But I, I think the information we provided previously gives people the base foundation to understand how to implement it and how why it's useful and how to do it. Now we're going to get why it's so useful for coronavirus. So go for it. Okay. Um, when I was doing my research on uh, Ebola, I found a series of articles that showed that viruses need to be reduced, in other words, to have electrons in order to fuse to the cell membrane and spew in their genetic material. And a lot of viruses are loaded on their membrane with the amino acid cysteine, C-Y-S-T-E-I-N-E. And I saw article after article showing that viruses can be inactivated if they're oxidized. Polio virus, Norwalk virus, uh, all kinds of viruses. You oxidize them, they lose their infectivity. There was an article that showed that, um, I believe it was CMV, cytomegalovirus. If they oxidized it, it lost its infectivity. But when they re-reduced it with a chemical, adding the electrons back with a chemical, it regained over 60% of its infectivity. I said, mm. wow, what are we really missing here? We, we have what could be the cat's meow. And then I saw the same thing with Ebola, where it was published that Ebola virus also has to have its cysteine residues reduced for infectivity. Mm -hmm. So that's what propelled me to go to Sierra Leone. And we were actually invited by the president of Sierra Leone himself. So other aspects of ozone on viruses, there's, there was an interesting article showing that the lipid coat, not just the protein coat. Now the protein, coronavirus has spike proteins. Mm -hmm. The viruses also have a lipid coat. And if you alter that lipid coat, that can also reduce or eliminate their infectivity. Ozone does attack lipids. We just discussed that earlier. Our cells has the ability to repair that. That's what our cells are doing all the time. Viruses can do nothing. Uh, it's even debated whether they're life or not life. I think that they are life of some kind, but they can't do it themselves. Mm -hmm. So if they are inactivated, if their coat is inactivated, they can't repair it. Mm -hmm. The only thing they can do to help themselves is to attach to your cell, dump in their DNA or RNA, replicate, and then spew out more viruses at your cost. So ozone, if you increase the oxidation, uh, oxidative, um, the redox, redox, oxidation reduction, that's a balance in the body like this, just like your pH. Your pH acid base is always held in balance. It is really critically preserved by the body. The redox status is also critically preserved by the body as well. I believe that oxidant therapy, whether it's ozone or other pro-oxidants, will tip the body into having more, uh, more oxidant. So it's an oxidant stress, which your body can handle. But the sulfhydryl groups, the thiol groups, on the spike proteins of coronavirus or Ebola virus, they're very vulnerable to this. They can't repair, they'll be destroyed, essentially, and the virus loses its, 
is infectivity. Yeah, and the, the thiol groups you have referenced have the cysteine amino acid in Yes, the, the cysteine carries the thiol, the SH group, rather than an OH group. And these groups are extraordinarily vulnerable to oxidation. So that's the mechanism of action. That's how it works. So. One of them, one of the mechanisms. Yeah. The other mechanism will be modulating the immune system. Mm -hmm. So the cytokine storm is, you got this. You're making lots of cytokines. Your immune system is on tilt, on overdrive. And the research shows that ozone can bring it back into balance, modulating it. Oxygen, delivering more oxygen. We've already covered that, that ozone mm -hmm. does that. So ozone appears to be a, a, an incredible uh, antiviral. In my words, it's the ideal antiviral. In the article that I referenced, when you damage uh, the virid lip, lipid coat, the author of that um, manuscript said that the problem with drugs that do that is that they're unacceptably toxic. So designing drugs to damage the virid lipid coat is probably going to fail because those drugs are going to be toxic. But we have a molecule that can do this. And whether you call it a drug, ozone, or a natural substance because it's made by the body, it matters not to me. The fact is it's a pro-oxidant and it can ding the virus and render it inactive if the virus is exposed to it. Yeah. Well, let's talk about another natural substance, but this one is not made by our bodies. Most, most animals make it, but we don't. But, and it's another oxidative uh, therapy, at least used in high doses. At normal doses, it's actually a, an, a required nutrient that we need to optimize our health. And that's vitamin C or ascorbic acid. Yes. So um, I believe from listening to your previous interviews that, you, I mean, you, you're in favor of it, but you think that ozone would be a better strategy, uh, but it certainly can be used. So let's discuss that and some of its pros and, and cons. Sure thing. Mark Levine, uh, he might still be, but he used to work at the NIH. And his team, along with a woman named Kate Chen, published some articles showing that intravenous, and it has to be intravenous vitamin C, when it's given intravenously, it reaches high enough tissue concentrations that when it permeates into the interstitial fluid, interstitial fluid is not blood and it's not inside the cell. It's the fluids between the blood vessel and the cell. When ascorbic acid reaches a certain concentration in the interstitial fluids, it acts as a prodrug for your body to make hydrogen peroxide an oxidant. Hydrogen peroxide is miscible in water. It's a small molecule. It can get right into your cell and have pro-oxidant effects. Mm -hmm. So now you have more hydrogen peroxide in your tissues. We've already discussed the vulnerability of bacteria and viruses to pro-oxidants. Hydrogen peroxide is far faster at eliminating them than bleach, and ozone is faster than peroxide. It's all a degree of how strong the oxidant is. Ozone is 100 times more powerful at killing pathogens than is bleach. Peroxide is going to fall somewhere in between. So high-dose vitamin C will create 
hydrogen peroxide in your body, which becomes now an oxidation treatment. And that's why you're seeing research on this. This has been known for 70 or 80 years. Frederick Klenner did this work many years ago and published it, but you're not going to see pharma publish this or study it because this is not something that's patentable. And all they're interested in is money, not your health. Yeah, I would, I would just add that I'm not sure that intravenous is absolutely required. I think it's parenteral that's the, really the key thing. Uh, and that is making a distinction between oral and parenteral. And parenteral could include a version of oral, which is liposomal, which essentially allows the uh, swallowed uh, capsule to go almost directly into the blood and bypass the uh, intestinal mucosa. So you're going into the blood and get high concentrations. I have a friend who treats many cancer patients, and uh, many of them are getting intravenous uh, vitamin C, and those that aren't, he puts on oral liposomal C and finds and measures their blood levels and finds that the ones on the oral liposomal actually have better levels because they can take it more frequently rather than get an IV once every few days or a week. Yeah, uh, I don't have any, I don't have knowledge now on how high blood vessels, high yeah. blood levels you get with any form of oral C, excuse me, with liposomal C. The oral lip, it's actually liposomal. I've been pronouncing it probably just because it's lipid, liposome. Right. Yeah, it's liposome. That you, you will definitely get more into your bloodstream. The problem is, this is what I was taught, and I was taught this by um, Mark Levine's people. Yeah. There's a limit of how much your intestine is going to absorb, which might be overcome by the liposomal vitamin C, mm -hmm. but your kidney is going to eliminate it. So even if you get more absorbed into your system through your intestine, if it's on a slow up curve like this, the kidney is going to take it out well, as fast as it comes in. Well, the kidneys will take it out parenterally too, IV. Yes, but yes, but if you give it parenterally, you're starting up here. You're, yeah. you're going straight up to the top. And yeah. you give it, and as long as you're giving it, it's way up here, and then the kidneys will take it out. But at least you've gotten that spike. Well... You know, I think you can you can make them equivalent because you and I both know that you're not going to give someone 25 grams of IV vitamin C uh, in under four hours. That's a typical dose because it can really be irritating to the veins and cause. Yes, it is. That's an issue. So that's essentially four hours. You're looking at six grams an hour. So you can easily swallow six thousand milligram capsules per hour, or even more. You can, I think, I think if you take a lot of them at once, you could actually exceed intravenous administration levels. That's a really good idea. Yeah, and re everybody needs to remember that the vitamin C in this case is working as an a prooxidant. Mm -hmm. And it's worth it to do. And this, the reason why I never got yes. into, I, I, I do some vitamin C. We do limited vitamin C in the office, but it's irritating the veins. Just yeah, as you yeah. said, yeah. vitamin C will scar veins, probably from the same mechanism that we just talked about. Right. Veins lack catalase. Catalase, right. So the vitamin C, the high dose ascorbic acid, gets into the interstitial fluid of the local vein. Hydrogen peroxide is generated. The veins are lacking the catalase, so they'll get scarred. So I like your concept here.
Yeah. Yeah. I just think it's useful. And I just want to reinforce from my perspective, this is not something we recommend that I recommend. I don't think you would recommend either prophylactically to prevent no. COVID-19 infection. This is something if you're coming down with a severe viral infection, the, the strategy you should seriously consider using and probably having your uh, medicine cabinet just in case. It's not something that I, I think you should have vitamin C every day, but I don't think you need massive doses. I'm, I mean, Saul, Andrew Saul recommends it two or three grams a day. I think a, a 200 milligrams is more than enough for most people. And I personally only take about a hundred milligrams. I like food vitamin C better yeah, yeah. than the ascorbic right. acid. I agree. Yes, that's what I'm talking about. I agree. Food-based. Yeah. I mean, if I, the supplement I take is food-based, it's from, um, the, the, it begins with an A. It's based from that the real high source. It's not uh, amyl, amylada. Um, I, I forget the the source of it, but it's one of the highest concentrations of it. So that's what I use. It's an Indian. It's from India. Yes, I I use the same thing. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, uh, but I have uh, Barbados cherries, otherwise known as acerola cherries. Yes. That uh, I literally have like four trees, and I I can frequently harvest a gallon of them at one time and i might have two three dozen harvest a year so i mean i might go 10 grams of vitamin c from acerola cherries <laughs> so good and i also think that vitamin c really needs to be taken in 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 balance with all of the other constituents right, in right. the real vitamin c yeah so but then but that even the from the acerola cherries i'm not using it therapeutically i'm using it more nutritionally, which I think is a, is a useful strategy because there's two components that people get them confused. One is, is, is it's used as a drug, an oxidative drug. The other is, is it an important nutrient that your body absolutely requires for so many therapeutic, for biologic functions. Okay. So we've hit that. Um, any other things you would like to mention? Because I have some philosophical things I'd like to discuss with you. Um, I also recommend in, in terms of COVID, make sure you're taking plenty of vitamin D. And I know you support that too. Actually, I don't recommend taking vitamin D. Interesting. I recommend getting yourself out pretty much close to okay. butt naked in the sun. <laughs> you're a runner. I well, I'm not a runner. I stopped running about 10 years ago, but I definitely walk on the beach. I just came back from an hour walk on the beach in my shorts and got lots of vitamin uh, UVB exposure. So I haven't swallowed vitamin D in over 10 years. My level's over 70 nanograms. So, Joe, Joe I'm thinking of people in Boston. Yeah, well, then you better swallow some. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but in Boston, you know, it's as we're doing this, it's the end of March. Yeah, two months, you'll be able to get some vitamin D, maybe a month, yes. depends on, you know, the weather and stuff. But, uh, okay, so yeah, vitamin D would be useful. I mean, it's crazy. Even the former CDC director, I think Tom Sharon, I forget his name, I think it's Tom something, uh, came out and recommended and advocated the use of vi optimizing vitamin D levels for the coronavirus. Which, I mean, it's pretty pretty unusual that that happens, but occasionally it does. It's occasionally they will, former directors of the CDC will go and become vice presidents at Merck and, and can get reimbursed tens of millions of dollars for making vaccines. Oh, we need to talk about vaccines for a moment too. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We can do, we, well, I, I want to integrate that into this philosophical discussion because I think we're going to enjoy that. Okay. I also like vitamin A. 
Uh, I use 25,000 units a day, but I don't recommend that for pregnant women. Pregnant women shouldn't take more than five. Do you recommend that routinely or just acutely for an infection? Acutely. Okay. Yeah. And zinc. Yeah, zinc. Now, which type of zinc? Are you talking about oral dissolved lozenges uh, therapeutically or just zinc uh, 15 milligrams a day to reach your normal recommended daily allowance? I, th I think you should be getting at least, for, for this type of thing, you should be getting at least 30 milligrams. And I do like zinc lozenges. Zinc yeah. lozenges come as zinc acetate. Yeah. yeah, and interestingly, you probably know this, but uh, the Trump administration and many physicians are now strongly endorsing and supporting the use of chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine, which are anti-malarial drugs. And it's believed the reason I mentioned it is because it's believed the mechanism of action is that these drugs actually act as zinc ionophores and they increase the zinc concentrations, which actually interferes with the uh, virus's ability to replicate itself once it's infected the person. So it seems to be pretty effective. I don't know that taking an antimalarial drug is going to be the best strategy. I personally wouldn't use it, but, but the connection there is a zinc. I, I am concerned that if millions of people end up taking hydroxychloroquine, I don't know which how Which is many safer people, than chloroquine. Which is safer than chloroquine. And what makes it unsafe? They accumulate in the retina and can damage the retina. Yeah. Well, who, know, who needs your eyes? You know, what the heck? Who needs vision? <laughs> I mean, geez, you want to come down with <laughs> die from COVID-19. So which, which, this is the leading up to the philosophical discussion we're going to engage in shortly. So. So any other points you want to hit before we discuss the, the very intriguing philosophical components? Of this? I'm, I am definitely interested in the philosophical, okay. so let's move All on. right. Well, you, I know that you come from a very strong libertarian background. You, for many years, have uh, had your medical practice up in Alaska, the home of the free, and uh, moved down to Northern California now. Uh, so there are many intriguing elements of this, which we haven't discussed earlier. Uh, and that is that, and I believe we share the same position that this virus, whether or not the actual virus itself was bioengineered, which I'm leaning, leading my, I believe probably was, but it's almost a mood issue. I believe this whole crisis yeah. was engineered. And the, the response, our societal and global response to this pandemic is beyond exaggerated. In previous pandemics, in history, historically, like the bubonic plague around 400 AD and 12, 1300 AD, they killed 30, 50 million people, not 1,000, not 10,000 people. I mean, this is three orders of magnitudes difference. And, and at that time, it was maybe half the world's population. Yes. This is like one-tenth of one-tenth of one percent. Do, do the numbers, 10,000 divided by seven and a half billion. I don't even know if that is, but when you do that division, it's a low percentage. So our response is exaggerated. At least that's my, my belief. And that, that this is more than likely the rational view of this is that this is an engineered crisis designed to collapse the economy. Because one out of three people watching this as we are viewing, as we are recording this, are confined to their home. The, the, the country is shut down. We are going to have 30% unemployment rates, which exceeds that in the Great Depression.
the economy is going to collapse. There's just no way around it. And it was engineered. That's my view. And so I'd love to hear your, your point on it. I'm in total agreement with you. Yeah. I've been, I've been thinking about this. We had um, one thing you didn't mention. All of us, everyone knows, was the great influenza epidemic of 1918. Tens so, of millions of people. Tens of millions. Tens of millions in 1918, when we had one quarter of the population we have today. Mm -hmm. So I'm in agreement with you. I, I can dispense with whether it was bioengineered. Yeah, it's a, mood, it's a mood issue. It's a mood That's issue. correct. The fact yeah. is it's out there. And it is being sensationalized. It, it's it's driving, driving people into panic and hysteria. My own feeling is there is going to be be more overall carnage from the collapse of the world economy. The world economy, this is mm -hmm. being done across the board Globally. in every country. And it's just like, it's a mindset. It's a Pied Piper, follow the Pied Piper right off the cliff. I believe that there are going, there's going to be more horror to society than if this virus took out 200,000 people, 300,000 people in this country. Two million. Even yeah, two and, million. And let's just get, hit that. The projections from most of these scientific experts is a minimum of a quarter million people are going to die. So as many as up to 2 million, 1.75 million. That's the worst case scenario that they're projecting. My guess is that more people will die from car accidents this year than die from this COVID-19 infection in the U.S. and in the world. I can't argue with that. So I'm in agreement with you. I, now, realize it's the mainstream press that's running with mm -hmm. this. Yeah. And, and to me, the mainstream press is also synonymous with the owners of pharma, mm -hmm. which is synonymous with the owners of the international banking situation, which is synonymous with what I call the rulers of the world. Not elected officials, the rulers of the world. And I believe, this is my own belief, I believe that this is being deliberately orchestrated. It, this didn't have to happen. I would have much rather dealt with some, even if the hospitals got overwhelmed, I would have much rather dealt with problems there and some people dying. I mean, even if you say, Joe, I haven't been able to do the calculations. But what they're trying to do is flatten the curve. Remember, right. they're concerned about a curve, curve like this, right. yes. and they're trying to go like this so that there will be less carnage to the intensive care units and the hospitals. Well, the same number of people are going to get it who are going to get it, whether it's this or it's spread out you're still going to reach the same number of people. And maybe if you have this slower curve like that, that some fewer people will die because they will have access to respirators. Mm -hmm. I don't think anybody even thought, because I don't think you have brains up there. I think you just have power up there. Mm -hmm. I don't think anybody really thought of the numbers of people who might be saved by flattening the curve compared to the massive unemployment and the death and destruction that's going to occur to people from the economic collapse. So, and, and you know, and this brings us to the other topic, which I said we're gonna delay till this, this, this part of the discussion, which is vaccines. 
So it's the same argument. So you can, the, the, the primary justification is, the, is for the greater good. We are going to save people's lives. And who can argue with that? Unless you look more deeply at the cost. For every life being saved by a vaccine, you maybe have another 10, 20, 100 people who are either killed or permanently injured as a result of that vaccine. Is that worth the trade-off? It's the same scenario here. They're going to save a few lives, no question with this, but at what cost? Right. I'm in agreement with you. And I, I, I thought that from the very beginning of this, when the madness started. We might save some lives medically. We might. And no one is going to argue about trying to save a life. No, you can't. Can't. And they're using that psychology to dumb us down into a total destruction of the economy. And there's no doubt. I didn't know 10,000 people had died. Oh, my God. That's that, yeah. more than coronavirus already in this country. I think it's close to the total global loss. I, I don't know what the current numbers are. I thought it was nine or 10,000 deaths worldwide, which and, is still relatively tiny fraction of total deaths. You know, it, it's crazy. There are more people who die from sepsis. One in five people in this world, 20% of the deaths are due to sepsis, independent of coronavirus. So, and, and that would be, yeah, actually, it's, you know, this is a short little tangent back to ozone. So the, the real push now for the sepsis is the Merrick protocol, which is a relatively low dose of, hydrogen, of uh, ascorbic acid. Uh, but I'm wondering, it would seem that using ozone could be an alternative to the vitamin C protocol. Oh, my God. It, to me, yeah, it's, it, it, it's, it's, it's an it's, answer. It's, by by yeah. the way, again, I'm staggered. sepsis. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let me address that after I tell you, I'm yeah. absolutely staggered by that 10,000 figure and we're yeah. early. Yeah. This, this, this could turn into hundreds of thousands. Oh, of it likely will. And, I, and, you know, I don't mean to be a pessimist, but this is just simple reality. You know, we, we, we I mean, not only have this fear and panic and you're going to survive and you're in social isolation, which is going to, you know, but loneliness is one of the major risk factors for depression, which is the risk factor for killing yourself. So it's just only going to escalate and you're not going to have access to good food and, uh, and then with, with losing your job, I mean, all these, yeah. people, you're going to go back 30%, one in three people will be out of work. Yeah. And how many and, of them? And half of the them? families in this country are living paycheck to paycheck. They don't have more than $400 in their bank account. That's right. it. So it, it's, it's, they pulled the trigger on this. I, I, I believe I'm like you. I, I don't have any doubt that this was deliberate. It yeah. had to be deliberate. There's this no didn't other have to happen. They yeah. could have overwhelmed the hospitals. Pardon my language. Big freaking deal that, uh, that many extra people, maybe thousands of people would have died. Who are, seven, gonna, who are mostly elderly, yeah. not exclusively, but mostly elderly or immunocompromised. And that's not a reason to get rid of them by any means. But, I mean, these people were going to die from something relatively soon anyway whether it was Corona or the flu, which 36,000 people die from every year, at least if you can believe the CDC statistics, uh, recent ones. So, you know, when you, you're going to die from something, you get older, or sepsis, you know, which we've got good treatments for either uh, the intravenous vitamin C or, or ozone therapy. We can talk about ozone therapy in the hospital. Yeah. One of my goals in all of this 
is to try to get ozone standard of care. Yeah. And I believe it's running up against a wall, deliberately against a wall, because if ozone and oxidative therapies, including vitamin C or hydrogen peroxide or ultraviolet blood irradiation got out there, you would see a change in the landscape of medicine in this country, and it would really hurt pharma. And remember, we talked about the integration of pharma with uh, the mass media, with the bankers and everyone else. And I have no doubt that this information is being deliberately squelched. I know people, I know reporters who were trying to get the story out there and they were told by their higher ups, no go. It's a dead story. Why? Um, Ozone could be put into the ICUs. I, I have offered no expense, no cost. I don't want to be paid for it to go into local hospitals and bring ozone in there and help. But we have a system that is so corrupt, so vile, that if it's not FDA approved, they will let somebody die yeah. no, before no they will consider it. That's yeah, evil on steroids. So it would seem that this epidemic or pandemic could be a great opportunity because I know in China they're using uh, intravenous ascorbic acid for this, but it would, it would seem this is an opportunity to use ozone over there because I suspect these guys would be open to it. They actually are, and I'm getting some reports from people I know in China. It's very limited. They can't get patients, but the people that they've gotten to with ozone, even who are seriously ill, have had a very favorable outcome. Yeah, yeah. Well, good. Because I think, you know, in every crisis, there's a silver lining, and this could be one of them, is that you can establish these new barometers of, of clinical therapy that are effective, safe, and low cost, which is going to be a key thing when the economy collapses. We're not going to be able to afford these expensive therapies. Just not. The resources won't be there. The economy's going to be crashed. Now, so, let's go a little bit further in your philosophical. Yeah. Why would they want to do this? Why would they collapse the economy? Well, you, you have an answer. I have my suspicions. but My, my own thoughts is to drive a one-world authoritarian government where we're just drones for the rulers. Yeah. And then consolidating the resources to grabbing them up. They're basically putting things on fire sale and they're going to grab them all up, control everything. That's what they're I all, They're already talking about the government, I mean, this is fascism. They are going to take equity positions in all these major corporations that are going belly up. They're going to own the industries. Yeah. That's fascism, folks. That's <laughs> what it is. So it's sad. You know, I don't want to dwell on it because it gets people depressed without at least presenting some positive sides because I think there are some positive to this. I think that it's going to force us to, to get back to the basics, to understand the lifestyle recommendations that you and I have recommended for all these years that really improve our immune system, you know, avoiding processed foods and sugar and processed oils like the plague. And that will help us considerably. So, um, you know, be focused and, and, you know, use these natural therapies and more and more people will be aware of it and they'll understand the, uh, misinformation that they've been being fed by the, the media sources all these years. I, I'm also the, afraid, aside from, owning everything, aside from owning everything which we've discussed, I also believe that this is a drive to destroy the rest of the few civil liberties we have left. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's, uh, part of that process is the implementation of mandatory vaccines. 
which is clearly a, liber- a, a, a personal freedom. And, you know, it just pains me so much to recall the sacrifices that the, uh, our forefathers in this country ha- suffered to, to, to acquire this personal freedom. Yes. So much of us just don't, they, they fa- or don't, they, they fail to fully and deeply appreciate until they remove these privileges. And they're doing it every time. They did it with the Patriot Act in 2001 yeah. after, after, after 9-11 and the anthrax scares, and which is a massive removal of our freedoms. And they're, they're going to use this to leverage that even further and take even more away. It, it, I don't know if any will be left after this. You might even need a coronavirus vaccine to board a train or an airplane. I, I, I see that. Yeah, it's going to be even worse. I mean, Gase was talking about digital vaccine certificates. So, no, I'm serious. You know, it would probably be like China where you just show your phone that you got it, you know, and if you don't have it, you're not going to get on the plane or the train or the bus. And in the name of public safety, they might actually haul you out of your house yeah. and vaccinate you. I, yeah. I can see that. And here's another thing. They're talking now about paper currency being able to transmit disease. Oh, yeah. It's, now, going, to go, it's going to go to cryptocurrency. Which means they're I, going to I, go I crypto. Well, why not return to what the founders set up? Well, we of a, course. You and I both we had, a, we, we, had a, we had a monetary system that was based on coin, gold and silver coin. Well, now, if you're metal. concerned about contamination, you can just drop that into bleach or hydrogen peroxide. Or ozone water. Or ozone. You, know, you can't do that with paper that they print out of thin air. Fiat, fiat money. Fiat. Yeah. So uh, fiat is another word for fake. <laughs> <laughs> It didn't used to be, well, it still, it was always fake, but prior to 1971, you could redeem that fake paper note for real metal. Uh, but Nixon changed that in 1971. That was almost 50 years ago now. But you're right. I'm a firm believer in that as we both are. Uh, and that, that will still be useful and it'll probably be integrated in some way, but it's just sad to see what happens. So it's a, it's an, it's it's interesting times, you know. I never thought. I don't think most people. I've been studying a lot of people and watching them and listening and reading them, and virtually no one predicted this. This came out of the sky. There's just no one thought it would be, it would come to this, but it has. If you had listened to me for the past many years, I've been saying that a pandemic. It, it's not if. It's when. No yeah, one, but, you, no but when they first announced this. Did you believe it was going to happen when they first announced this in December, January? Did you think this was it? I was concerned, but I didn't. I mean, there might have been some things I could do to act on it to profit, but I, I'm, I'm not that way. I didn't do it. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just, you know, it was just like another thing. It was going to be another bird flu, another swine flu, just, you know, but they, they learned it. And I think. A- actually, actually, Joe, let me take, let, let me take it back. Yeah. I knew it was a problem. And I put it up on my Facebook page. And I said, this is going to be worse than the flu. What I didn't expect is that we would have a coordinated mass media effort to bring down the economy. That I did not expect. That's what I'm saying. I think no one predicted that. And I've been following a lot of people in the financial space. And they've been warning about this bubble, which just needed some black swan to to pinprick that bubble and explode it. Uh, Obviously, this COVID-19 was the pin. Uh, but no one was predicting that to be, to happen, to have this type of response. It just came out of the blue, very unpredictable. But 
I, I, I'm reading a book now by Soshana Zoboff called Surveillance Capitalism, which is a great book, 500 pages without the references. And it goes into great detail how uh, institutions like Google and Facebook are using their strategies to essentially develop these predictive behaviors and ability to manipulate their behaviors and acquire all this surplus behavioral data. And, you, and I, there's no doubt, my, they've been doing this for two decades, two decades. So they've been, I, there's no doubt in my mind that they, uh, they've used this information they've collected the last two decades as sort of a basis for successful implementation of a strategy like this. It's really clear. You know, the, the surveillance capitalists have contributed to this and they're part of it. And I'll share with your viewers also that I sent, I have an article in the Journal of Infectious Diseases and Epidemiology. I sent that article to Coast to Coast, George mm -hmm. Norrie. I sent sure. it to the Glenn Beck people. I've sent it to a number of people. I can't understand why no one in the media that, that, that reaches a lot of people will pick up on this. It makes me wonder about them too. Well, there may be other reasons, but anyway, we don't want to be too pessimistic. So we want to end on some light notes and, and notes of encouragement so that there are strategies you can use. You just have to stay calm. Uh, you want to, I think turning off the news or the media or TV is probably a good strategy unless you're watching yeah. alternative media because it's going to contribute to the fear cycle. And the last thing you need to do is have that, you know, you need to know what your local restrictions are, of course, but other than that, you want to stay positive, focus on it, eating good food, healthy habits, make sure you're exercising, sleeping well and getting outside, getting some sunshine and you and stay healthy. That's the key to this. And whatever they throw at us, they're going to throw at us. So we're going to come up stronger. I, I'm a view, view it, it probably would be a healthy perspective to view this as a hormetic challenge. What is hormesis? Hormesis is whatever doesn't kill you is going to make you stronger. So this, yeah, this is an assault. There's no question, but so is exercise. Uh, so just look at it from that perspective and know that you'll be healthy and, and you stay in the community and you know, it's there, there's power in that. So, uh, we, 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 need, out of this. we, we need to, to me, we need to encourage people not to be in a state of fear or panic because I don't right. think that this is a panic situation for your no. life. No, it's not. It's not. It's just sad to see the shift in implementing these strategies, but it yeah. is what it is and we'll just have to address it. Very good. All right. Well, thank you for all this, these resources. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Joe. Good discussion and good to be with you again. Good.